Sound of Fire and Soul, a community where leaders gather to unite in sovereignty in today's world. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow, a seasoned and heart-centered coach and mentor on a mission to take you on a journey of self-empowerment with weekly guidance and channeled wisdom. Fire and Soul features brave and daring conversations with extraordinary leaders who have awakened from the illusion to help you claim sovereign leadership in life, love, and entrepreneurship. Let's listen, learn, and stand together as models for our new world, starting now. Well, hey there, and welcome back to Fire and Soul. I'm so happy that you're here. This is going to be a really special episode. I'm excited to share it with you. I have Serena dyer Pisoni joining the show to talk about her incredible book that she co-authored with her sister, Sage Dyer, called The Knowing, 11 Lessons to Understand the Quiet Urges of Your Soul. And the way this conversation kicks off is so auspicious. I mean, we had one tech glitch after another, and then it really sort of escalates into this amazing thing that happened about two-thirds of the way through. And so when you discover what we both believe to be a knowing around why this happened and who came to visit while we were recording, for me, it was just like full-body truth bumps over and over again. So I hope that you enjoy, but because I didn't get a chance to do a proper introduction, I just wanted to leave that here uh, for you before we dive in. So Serena dyer Pisoni is the author of Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, My Experience Growing Up With Spiritual Parents. She has been a contributor to Huffington Post and Positively Positive, and her sister and the co-author Sage is the author of Goodbye Bumps, Talking to What's Bugging You, and she's also been part of the national PBS special with their father, Dr. Wayne Dyer, called I Can See Clearly Now, and they have just gotten so much attention for this book. It's a deep resonance, and I believe that you're going to love it as much as I did. I've now had three copies in my hands. And it's highlighted and underscored and tagged. And it's such a beautiful gift to give yourself and to another. So without further ado, please enjoy and yes, possibly be fascinated by the incredible epic tech storm that came to visit in the most incredible way. Enjoy. I just hit record because of our text messages going back and forth. And you were like, okay, having some tech issues, right? And you were like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but this is absolutely 100% my dad coming in. What do you mean by that, Serena? And then we'll give you a proper introduction. Okay. What I mean by that is... Wait, it's I can't almost, hear you. Oh, wait. Oh, why? That's weird. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, this is hilarious. Is this what you're doing, Wayne Dyer? <laughs> this, I'm telling you, this is him. Okay, there it is. That is funny. Now, when you share your story, which I have no idea what you're about to say... I want to let you know what I requested before I met up with you on Zoom. Okay, tell me why this is 100% your dad. Because this started a few years ago, right after he passed away, where whenever I would do some type of Facebook video for Aviana Castro, who's one of my most favorite mediums of all time, we would either record it together or she would invite me onto her platform or we would do a video conference, even if she was like doing a reading for me every single time every time the technology would cut out or it would have like the lights would flicker on the screen or the microphone wouldn't work or something that had never happened before. And every time she would say, this is your dad, this is spirit, because when they come through, they're an energy and it's really easy to mess with frequencies. 
So I knew about that. But lately, when I do an interview and I and I don't let me just say I don't have technology issues ever. When I do an interview or a podcast, I would say I have them like 75% of the time because I know in the beginning it's him, it's his energy coming through. And a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview with a woman named Sarah in Australia and we could not get on together. It was so crazy. First, it was that my sound wasn't working. So we were texting back and forth on the Zoom chat. Then it was my video went out in the middle of just went out. So then I couldn't even video chat her. Then I restarted my computer and the mouse wouldn't work. And I was pulling my hair out. Like, why is the mouse not working? Then finally, you know, reset 15 minutes go by and we're on. And I said to her that I knew it was my dad because he does this. Not, I don't think on purpose. I think it's because I ask for him to come and to assist me whenever I'm giving an interview or a talk or a podcast or anything. And I think it's just his presence interfering in the the frequencies. But on the last one, um, I had told her before we started recording that the last time I was in Australia with my dad, um, a famous musician there named Jimmy Barnes came to his talk and invited me to go to his house with his wife and his daughter, who was my same age. And and I said to her how I wanted my dad to like tell me something about Jimmy Barnes, because that would make me know that he was there. This is before we started recording. In the middle of the interview, the studio that she was renting, not just her studio, like every single sound booth in the entire complex got interrupted because Jimmy Barnes started playing on the radio over the oh. entire building, the whole structure, every single Which doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. And she was like, oh my God. She was like, you have to go back and record what you told me in the beginning now. And so we did, because I was like, I told you, I told you it was him. And uh, Jimmy Barnes heard the heard it. And any, anyway, he just remembered going to my dad's talks and all that. But yes, so it's him for sure. So what were you going to say that you uh, said before? Hello, hello, hello. We are so grateful that you are here. Oh my goodness. Okay, can so I'm going to tell you an interesting story. Well, I maybe you'll find it interesting or not. So months and months ago, back in May, when I met the, the, the friend who actually connected us, Emily Williams, you were on her podcast. We've been on everyone's podcast. I told them a story at this lunch in Montecito that a psychic told me that I channel your father. And I know that like Gabby Bernstein does, and I know that she is one of the beautiful supporters of your book and wrote you an incredible testimonial or endorsement. And so that was just so far fetched. But what she said, no, it's you're not going to know it. And I know I channel when I speak, when I podcast, like not saying I'm great, but it's just I don't really prepare. Right. I just typically download, except for people that are special like you that have come on the show. I'm like, let me just do this right. But anyway, so she said, but it's interesting because you're going to actually end up connecting with his daughters. Wow. And she said, and it's going to be in the name of furthering his work. And I didn't know that the knowing was already written that ways, of course, all the lessons that you've learned from your father and then to get introduced to you and to share that story at that lunch. So then it'd be full circle here. And I'm doing like my meditation and my centering before you get on the Zoom. And I just said, you know, if I do channel you, Wayne Dyer, can you somehow <laughs> make your presence be known? Because I want to honor this relationship with your daughters, as well as your work, because you're just 
this beautiful soul in my life that's helped me so much and millions and millions of others. So that is a crazy full circle moment. Yeah, well, I should show you what I'm, I have his, uh, his little figure that sits behind my desk <laughs> because I feel like he's always looking at me going like this. What, what do you expect? Of course I'm looking over your shoulder, sitting here, spying on your talk, you know? And so I absolutely know that, that A, he comes to people when they ask. And yes. he, people that are asking and also asking how may I use this to serve mm-hmm. like you or like Gabby or like others that he is of course showing up to talk to you and to give you downloads and to give you messages because that's that's everything that he was about when he was here in the physical and now that he's not here in the physical he's doing it in a bigger grander better way and it doesn't hurt that he always finds beautiful women to channel through you know because that's his thing you know? so I'm sure he's smirking doing his face that I just showed that's very like, that would, you know, that would be, well, what's a beautiful woman? Of course, I'm going to sit in on her meditation and give her some downloads. But what's so cool, too, is that 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 reading was given to me in October, late October of, of 2020, which was like a big year for a lot of us for so many reasons. And of course, for all of humanity. And I was feeling really stuck and didn't really know how to move forward in my business and my purpose as an entrepreneur, a spiritual entrepreneur wanting to go less from business, more into like just straight up self-development, spiritual sustenance. And I was like, I can't, I didn't know how to do it. And she was like, you're going to have some help. Like you don't have to worry about it. Like there are souls that want to aid in you. And again, I can't tell you how specifically he shows up except for right now. And of course he's like, Oh, hello. What you guys want? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He's like, Oh, you asked me to come. I'm here. And now you're complaining that I showed up as you asked, you know, that happened. All, so often this technology interruption that I'm always just thinking like, okay, dad, you know, it's, see, there's an alert going yes. on here. I don't know where that's coming from. Oh, oh I'm getting the full bagels right We don't even know where it's coming from? Well, because we just moved into this house um, just a couple of weeks ago. So there was just an alarm that went off. I don't know where that came from, but it's somewhere in my house. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, but wait, I forgot to tell you the most important part too, just for me, just to really let my listeners know, this is super real, although they know I play it straight anyway, but I forgot the psychic did tell me, I on my dog's life, who's right there snoozing next to me, he's going to show up in the, in the realm of technical glitches. I'm, I'm having just a really like beautiful moment of gratitude, right? Because this is what the knowing really represents for me is this love is not lost. And I love the last words in your book, which I've now read, you know, multiple times and have multiple copies of and And, uh, and I want everyone to go out and get it. If you haven't already, what an incredible holiday gift, new year gift. Like there is not a bad time for this book. It's so poignant now more than ever. I mean, how has your life shifted? getting his work out, sharing this time with your sister, being on so many globally known. Hi. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but I'm going to see if I can turn that off. But okay, I don't think I can. Can I also tell you that I don't know if you're on West Coast, but when we first heard that bell was 2.18 p.m. here. And I know that you know all about the 18. So that was kind of cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know where that's coming from, but. So you I I heard just the beginning part of your question. You said, how has my life changed? Is that what you said since? Yeah, how has your life been shifted since you released this book and all the platforms and all of the people that you've gotten to serve and and actually to be in proximity with too? I mean, I know that you're no stranger to uh, thought leadership and some of these bigger names in the world, but now you're right there next to them with your own body of beautiful work. 
Well, thank you. That's a very nice um, thing to say. I think that for me, the thing, there's two things that I really just did not, did absolutely not know before we wrote this book. And one was how, how famous my dad was or is. I just, I think yeah. that he's become bigger. I don't want to say since he passed, but maybe I just, maybe he has, or maybe I just didn't pay attention, or maybe I'm at an age now where I am interested in, in spiritual things, whereas before I took them for granted. So it's mind boggling to me how many people. So let me just say this. When I was younger, so my dad passed when I turned 30, right after I turned 30. I'm 36 now. So when I was in my 20s or my teens, not a lot of people my age were interested in my dad. And there are so many people my age now that are. And that usually surprises me because I'm used to it being like the moms or the grandmas that are. But I think that as people get older, they're seeking out a spiritual connection, but also that incredibly younger people are seeking out um, answers to something that they feel is um, kind of like just brewing inside of them. So that was a big surprise to me is how well known he really is. But more than that is how many people were not raised to have this knowing then um, there are so many people that are not raised to believe that the soul lives on, that are not raised to believe that they can communicate with their loved ones after they pass. That for me was just as commonplace in my upbringing as having a happy birthday song on your birthday. Like it was just known, understood and expected. And there was never any wavering from that. And I believe that that has made all the difference in the world between my siblings and I that have received and and people that believe in this type of stuff, right? That have received incredible signs and miracles and connections and messages versus other people that have not. And I don't think it has anything to do with being special or being Wayne Dyer's daughter or having this great spiritual practice. I believe it really comes down to the fact that I expected it. Mm. I and I had no doubt. And Serena. That sentence right before you have no doubt, it broke up. Can you share that? Because I know it was medicine for us. Yeah. So I was saying that for me, um, the belief that I could connect with spirit, with my loved ones after they passed, was something that I expected. I knew for a fact. I had a knowing that would happen. And I had absolutely no doubt. And I think that that is the key, is that there was never any doubt that I would be able to connect with Mm -hmm. my dad. I had no doubt that I would be able to connect with my stepson when he passed. I had no doubt that I live in a universe where miracles are, um, are available and waiting. I just wasn't raised to have a different expectation. Um, I was just really raised to have the idea that, you know, you're the master of your fate. But that doesn't mean you can control everything that happens to you, right? It doesn't mean that you're God. And it's up to you what happens in your life. It means that you're God and it's up to you how you respond to what happens in your life. And there's your freedom and power. That's right. That's sovereignty right there, which is the whole direction of this podcast are all around sovereign leadership for self. 
Um, may I read the last several lines of your book, which speaks to exactly what you just said. It's so beautifully written. Uh, I mean, this is one of those books where it's like your father's energy, right? It's like just this big giant bear hug. And that's how this book felt every single chapter. I just put it on my heart. You're welcome. Thank you. With everything that we have experienced since losing our dad, we now go through life with the knowing that we are eternal and infinite beings and therefore death is nothing to fear at all. Whether you live with this knowing or not, the ultimate truth of it does not change. Which is why we challenge you to embrace, allow this to be cast to live in a life of more love, more service and more compassion. Embrace the idea that death is the ultimate plunge into divine love. Live your life with the awareness that your time in this earth suit is limited. And let that be the catalyst to bringing more and more divine love into your life. I'm getting full body chills. I know your, your father is here. Yeah, this is it. So for me, I tied into a lot of what's happening in the world in the last 20 months, right? There's so much confusion, a lot of polarization. And right now, I feel like the knowing your book is the gateway to the antidote for everyone, which is no surprise that there's just such an uprising of people following your father's work and wanting to get more connected to these teachings because it's ancient wisdom that you can bring to us from a very young millennial point of view, right? With all that beautiful teaching as your, as your upbringing. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that, I think that in everybody's and in every generation, there are periods of time where that generation thinks that, like this is this is so new or so difficult or so unprecedented. I mean, I know for my dad's generation, it was you know he was born when World War II was beginning, and obviously he was too young for that. But then he lived through the Vietnam War and and all these other things. I think there's a lot, there's often times in each generation where we think that this is very unprecedented, and this is this COVID staying at home and isolating and living lives that are more and more isolated is very unprecedented. But if anything. This this is even I know this is going to sound sort of like it's easy to say or it's kind of like trite or it's an opportunity. It's just it is a gift if you choose to see it that way. And the gift is that you get to decide how you respond to it. And the more you practice your response, the more you practice the understanding that life is not happening to you. It is responding to you. The less these difficult times will be difficult. And I can tell you firsthand because my sister Sage, who is my co-author, who couldn't be here today because we have had to reschedule as Michelle knows so many times because she just had a baby and we have five kids under the age of six between the two of us. And it is something every, every week. So anyway, um, but she would tell you that she, oh, she and her husband own a restaurant in Manhattan. And everybody said to her that during the, when the pandemic and the shutdown started happening, that this is going to be the end of her, their business. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm just deciding that it's not. And she said, and I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I'm going to picture abundance and I'm going to picture and I'm going to feel and I'm going to live from the end, which is allowed with itself because look at how much better we're doing. And I promise you, her business is not only still open, but they learned how to become a takeout centered because restaurants were not allowed to be open, a takeout centered catering type of restaurant during those months and did better than they expected. And they got, they got PPP money and they got, you know, those other things that helped them out, but it didn't have to be bad. I know that that's easy to say. Anybody could say it's easy to say, or it's difficult to say, but the bottom line is she was at the epicenter. One of the first people I knew to have the virus, she got really sick. Her whole family got really sick. And then 
They just got down to business and they believed wholeheartedly that they could make the adversity work for them. Mm. And I, maybe I did it, you know, I maybe gained like 20 pounds and just had like mommy during that time. And it didn't always work for me, but I did enjoy, I did enjoy the family togetherness that I might not have had. And I, I tried constantly to put that into perspective that I could, I could choose how I responded. I couldn't choose what was happening, but I could choose how I responded. Well, that's just like your father's famous quote, right? One of many, which is if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I remember as I was doing just a little bit of prep because I wanted to be in present moment with you um, and your dad, as it turns out, during this conversation, I thought small self, ego self, that doesn't really apply to what's going on right now. And it was like, wait, hold up. Yes, it does. If you zoom out, Of course, it applies to everything, not just when it's convenient, right? In a time in humanity. So thank you for shining light on that because I didn't know that story about your sister in their restaurant in Manhattan that she got COVID and that she was like, no, it reminds me of the narrative that she chose to honor, which was the knowing within when she um, addressed her bumps, which is a sweet, powerful story in the book. You guys got to get the book just for that story alone. I read that, that chapter like three different times. Um, well, and that's sage. I mean, she was named correctly because she is wise. And I often joke that if she's like the, the powerful, knowing, wise one, I'm like the yappy chihuahua that's just like, you know, flying <laughs> off the handle. Because sage really is just inherently calm and mm-hmm. inherently, I want to say skeptical, but in a healthy way where she mm-hmm. likes to, she likes to challenge herself to do the work. And I, I like that about her so much. And I, I admire that so much because I'm just a lazy Gemini. That's like, everybody do it for me and I'll talk about it all day long. But, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people that really are willing to do the work. And that's her. She's really willing to like put the spiritual practice into action. And, um, and I think that's why she often gets results that are unexpected and uh, expected by her, though. Um, exactly. Thank you for saying that. By the way, uh, when is your birthday as a Gemini? May 26th. Well, my sister's May 26th and I am June 13th. So a couple of Gemini's here. Yes. Which means we've got four of us, which is really probably like a hundred of us because I'm exactly like you chat about it all day long, but everyone else can do the heavy lifting. I love Gemini's. I love Gemini's because you never know what you're going to get. You, Oh, please. You're right. Although do you experience yourself as sort of like the split personality? Like Okay, one day I'm a sloth and you can't get me up off the couch. And another day I'm like, do, 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 give, 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 yeah. give. Or yeah, you sort of like, I don't know, a mix. No, bag. I'm exactly what you just said, except it's not like divided by the day. It's divided by like the hour. It's like one hour. I'm like, everybody get away from me. I'm antisocial. I'm an introvert. I'm having a pity party. And the next day I'm like, or the next hour I'm like, oh, who wants to come over? Like I'm having a last minute, you know, mom party. Like, yes, no, I'm a crazy Gemini. It's all over the place. Okay, that's exactly how I am as well. It's nice to know that I've got a fellow twin on the path. Because, um, But you know what? When we learn to embrace it, that's also part of the knowing, right? Is just to accept what is and not try to change it. And then to look at what the strengths are within that. I'm like, I'm always like, fun, because you never know what you're going to get, right? You cannot predict a personality, a mood, anything. Um, Most fun sign. I think it's like a known thing. Maybe not the most reliable all the time, but definitely the most fun. 
totally the most fun. All right. Can we talk about the meaning of August 30th? This for yeah. me was the ultimate in the signs, symbols, and synchronicities that I know your dog, dad taught you to live by and um, understand and play with. But um, mm-hmm. that's a powerful story in the book that I, I would love for you to share. Sure. Yeah. So um, this is again, saying to the wise one, this is one of her discoveries. Um, she just, we, we all knew that our dad really had a thing for numbers and numbers. <gasps> that's him. He's calling that's right him. now. I have no, no doubt. No, it's, it's something, it's gotta be an alarm of somewhere that's letting me know something. But anyway, so there was um, a thing that he would do where he would try and get 18, 18, 18 on his stopwatch all the time. And so he had a thing for numbers and anytime he would, you know, just, he just had a thing where he would find out that he was in, uh, he got the parking spot that was number 18 and he would be like, see, I'm God's favorite. You know, like he would just always have a thing for numbers or dates or meanings behind numbers. So when he passed away on August 30th of 2015, we all were thinking like, what is the significance of this date? I think it's coming from under my desk. So I'm gonna turn it okay. So this is pretty hilarious. I'll just keep speaking while you're looking for that. And there's no rush, ease and grace on this, this thing, but. I keep getting this thing is going up and I don't know what that is, but I plug, unplugged it, so. I don't know what that is either. But I know my listeners are so cool with the idea that like Wayne Dyer might be here and you know, giving us his presence, but continue on. Okay. 18, 18, 18. This is his yeah, ultimate so, goal, right? Yes. Yeah. And so this was his thing and he got it. He uh, one day managed to get his stopwatch stopped at exactly 18 minutes, 18 seconds and 18 um, millionth of a second, I guess, or thousand. I don't even know. I'm not good at math. So anyway, when he passed away on August 30th, there was definitely this feeling of like, why this day? And what is the significance behind it? Because Knowing that our dad was somebody who was so connected to numbers, we felt as though there must be some significance in the date, even though we didn't know what it was. It didn't add up add up to be anything like 18, like he would have been um, really keen on. It wasn't like any of his relatives' birthdays or anything like that. There was no significance that we could understand for the day. But Sage continued to search. And after he passed, she was reading um, his memoir, which was I Can See Clearly Now, which was um, his second to last book he wrote before he passed away. And she got to the chapter in which he wrote about the um, forgiving of his father. And so my dad was born to a father that was um, an alcoholic. And he di- his father died of cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 49. And when my dad was born, my dad was the youngest of three boys born in two years. His father had left, had walked out before he was born. And so my dad never met his father. And because of his father's absence, in May 10th of 1940, uh, you know, the World War II was ongoing and um, the Great Depression was raging. And because of that, my grandmother could not afford to keep all three boys under two at home and fed and clothed. So she put the younger two, which were my Uncle Dave and my dad, Wayne, into a, um, a home, a home for boys that could pay for them and support them while she got a job and saved up the money. And my dad hated his father. And I say hate because that's how he felt. He hated his father. And as a child and as a teen and as a young man, he felt like every day he woke up from an angry night's sleep where he was fighting his father, where he was punching him. And he he couldn't understand why this, excuse me, why this man had walked out on him before he even met him. So he was slightly obsessed. And um, a series of really crazy um instances and and situations my dad ended up finding out where his father was buried so he never got to meet him he never got to meet his father in his entire life my dad was 35 
and, or 34, it was uh, when he went to the grave in Biloxi, Mississippi, and he found out where his father was buried in this pauper's grave in the back of a motel. Candlelight Inn, actually, is what it was called. He got out of his car and he found the grave and he went there with the intention of pissing on it, um, literally. And he did that. He around on it and screamed and cried and let out all of the rage he had been carrying around for 34 years. And as he goes to walk away, he feels something call him something, a voice, an energy, a presence, something that's pulling him back to the grave. And he listens and his paying attention to that subtle voice, that knowing intuition, his paying attention to that made all of the difference in the world because he went back because he paid attention and he said to his father on his grave, from this moment on, I send you love. Mm-hmm. And I and that day that he wrote about in his own memoir was August 30th, 1974. And he said in that memoir, if I had to write about the single most important day of my life, I would have said it was August 30th. And he said, because it was not the day that my relationship with my father ended, it was the day it transformed into love and forgiveness. And from there, from that grave site, he flew to Fort Lauderdale, which is where I live now, and he rented a condo, which is less than a mile down from where I live now. And he wrote his first book, Your Euronius Zones, in under two weeks at this hotel condo. So we've lost Serena. She's frozen. Not sure if she can hear me. I'll keep the recording going. Okay, she's back after like, what, about a five minute pause? Now you're dealing with what? My power went out. And there's absolutely no reason. I don't know if you can see this. I'm calling from my cell phone with a neighbor's light that's shining in at the window. <laughs> my house is dark. My, where the room I was just in is dark. But I, I mean, we were at the point of talking about my dad saying the day his life changed. Right. And what do you know? I think he was like, yes, big hug, Serena. And his energy just <laughs> shut the power down. Oh, my God. I have to be honest, this is going to go down in the books for the most interesting and fascinating podcast. I follow Michael Sandler from Inspire Nation on YouTube. I don't know if you follow him. He's got such incredible teachings. And he recently had a hailstorm happen. And I was like, the content was good. It was around learning how to channel the archangels. But it was the experience of watching him like yell over the hail. And so anyway, I'm hoping that this is the very least deeply entertaining and I know that everyone just feels for you. And we're excited too, because this is all energy and vibration. And so it's happening through technology and electricity. And, and so it's just a very, very exciting time. And it reminds oh. us to tune into these clues. Yeah. Well, and I also think the fact that some people would be really annoyed or upset and they would say, this is not the way I expected this to go. But your energy is one of laughing and finding the the amusing nature of it. And I think that that is um, speaks volumes because, of course, my dad came to this interview because he knew that that was your nature. And there would be people that would say, this is not perfect. This is not what I wanted. And they would be so attached mm. to everything coming in the way and the when and the how and the why that they think it ought to be, that they would lose out on the miracle of what actually is. And if there's anything that, that I have learned from him, it's, um, it's that when we 
when we become, you know, a hostage to our ego, which is the where, the when, the why, the how, we forget to be the host to God, which is the miracle. And and what I was saying before was just about the August 30th and how that was the day that my dad's life changed because he paid attention to that voice, that calling. He didn't question it. He didn't doubt it. He embraced it and he forgave his father. And he went on to write within two weeks, the best-selling book of the entire decade of the 70s. And it launched his career. And he could have easily said, he doesn't deserve my forgiveness or he, uh, he's not somebody I'm willing to send love to or, you know, screw him. What did he ever do for me? Why would I ever do that for him? That was not his approach. It was, okay, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to go to love. And everything in his life changed. And I would not be here if he did not make that decision because he met my mom um, after that. And then they went on to have these seven kids together. He already had his, uh, his first daughter, Tracy at that point, but, um, he hadn't yet met my mom. And, you know, it's just, I think it's just proof that when we let go of what we think and the way and the, how we think everything should happen. And we go back to embracing it as it comes and understanding that there's something bigger than us that's driving the pieces and when we can just let go and allow that, we, we give up all the fight and all the resistance. And none of that serves us anyway. And look, I, if there's anybody that could tell you about fight and resistance, it's me. I, I fought and resisted for everything I thought I needed or wanted for years. And it got me nowhere. I totally get that. And, um, and when we are in the flow, that's another way to know that we are hitting the green lights. You know what I mean? Yeah. For that in the book. And even this, like... For me, this wasn't even a concern. It was like, we're just flowing. This is how this one is showing up. So how we respond to it is the way in which we're going to live our life today, in this moment, this hour, that's it. And uh, and this is, I just love getting curious and allowing that childlike exuberance. I've been speaking a lot about that on my show. Just allowing that exuberance to be your driving nature in life. And just yeah. so faded, so cynical, so attached to how it's supposed to be. And mm-hmm. um, when we allow ourselves to be fascinated to what is, that's where I believe the miracles really do start to happen. Um, but yeah, and I have to say, just to, on that point, um, I, I grew up knowing Ram Das. He lived in Maui and he was a good family friend forever. And um, I spent a lot of time with him as a kid and as a teenager and as, as a young woman. And, and the thing that struck me the most about him always, every time, was his childlikeness, was his his awe over everything, his seeming um, just joy. I mean, he, and it wasn't an act. It was truly who he was. And I remember one time going, going over to their house and seeing that he had his altar set up and um, newly placed on his altar was a picture of a Rush Limbaugh. And I remember saying to him, like, why do you have his picture? And he said, because everyone, everyone needs love. And if I can't do it for those I find the hardest to give, then I've failed in giving love. And I remember thinking like, wow, you have that ability. You know, I didn't think I could. I didn't think I did. And sure enough, when, with my husband's legal stuff, which I talked about in the book, I found myself doing the same thing, you know, putting them up, putting the people prosecuting him on my altar and praying for them. And um, wow, you know, what a, what a lesson in finding the love and letting go of the ego. That's so beautiful, Serena. And 
Also, did you notice the the quality of this connection just got so much more deeper when the shift of electricity and getting kicked off Zoom again happened? So there's always a gift, right? If we just 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story about Ram Dass. Um, he's a he's one of my favorite teachers as well. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. But thinking about Rush Limbaugh, there are some other characters in this time, right, that we're all going through where we could feel some resistance. No, not that person. No way. Not them. And and when we do, we just continue to keep our heart closed. And so I love mm-hmm. what you said there because there's such a gift in this time for that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what my dad ultimately was trying to say to my siblings and I once Sage discovered that my dad said that the single most important day of his entire life was August 30th when he forgave his father. And then he passed away on August 30th, you know, however many decades later, I think what he was trying to say was let love in, Mm. let forgiveness in. Mm. You'll get nowhere if you hold on to anger and resentment. In fact, only you will stay stuck. No one else. And and I think he he spent a lifetime of trying to embrace that for himself, embody that message, but also to teach it. And he, you know, he was a human. He wasn't perfect. He had, you know, his own issues and his own relationship challenges for sure. But I think that that's really what at the end of his life, what he was really the most interested in was this idea of teaching divine love and divine love being bigger than the human bigger than the personal relationship or the judgment from the ego or the anger, but seeing everyone as mother Teresa told him one time years and years ago that she sees the face of Jesus Christ in all of his distressing disguises Mm -hmm. when she looks at the face of strangers. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was something that my dad was trying to do when he passed was to see the face of Jesus Christ in everyone, no matter how distressing that disguise. And I believe that he got there and I believe that he's still doing it now. And um, actually, I don't believe I know. And I, and I really mean that I know. I know how present he is. I know how present he is for so many people. And I believe that he is wanting to be. And he's saying, ask me and I'll be there. Mm, that's right. That's it. Just being asked in like an archangel or another master guide. I want to read a little last part about that August 30th date being so important. You say, I think it was you. When we think about our father, it is no longer, I can never see him or talk to him again. But instead, perhaps when we catch the time as 1111 or spot the number 18, we ask ourselves, what is dad trying to tell us now? Ultimately, it's about looking at that beautiful, experience of a loss that cultivates eternal connection and a an eternal flame that we can carry we can ignite we can yeah amplify as long as we mm-hmm. get present yes exactly it's about being here it's like what Rhonda said be here mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. it's not then it's now but do it from a place of loving awareness. Do it from a place of, even if you can't do it for anybody else, for the people you're angry at, just say, I am loving awareness. That's enough. (laughs) Just begin by changing the energy you're bringing right now. That's right. And um, like you're bringing, not what you're receiving, not what you're walking into. Right. If there was a, a summary from my experience of reading the knowing 11, 
lessons to understand the quiet urges of your soul. It is that it's, I am loving awareness right now. I want to be here now because that's all there is. And then you get dialed in to all the magic and mystery and abundance of life. Yeah. I mean, I think that no, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I think it really comes down to just a handful of things. One is now, like you said, right now, the other is it's up to you. It's not what anybody else is doing. It's up to you. And if you can do that, just be aware of what you are doing, what you are thinking, what you are creating now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but now you've beaten half of it. I mean, you've already gotten, you know, the key, which is be present and be in awe and um, let go, let go of the desire to prove, to win, to argue. Ramdas could have out argued Rush Limbaugh any day of the week. If he had no desire. He only wanted to pray for him. That says everything about Ramdas. Everything. It also, it also says a lot about you and bringing that up is such a poignant teaching. There's a humility in your father's teachings. There's a humility in Ramdas's beautiful wisdom. And there's a humility and grace in your heart that allowed you to pour these pages out and, uh, and give us such a beautiful gift. It's that humility. That's another big component for me that I just, just like, oh, yes, if we're in awe, truly, then it's because we've humbled ourselves to know that this is available for us as soon as we allow ourselves to get present to it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's a very nice thing to say. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I came across as full of humility because as a Gemini, as you know, I don't always come across that way, but I'm glad that I, that I did um, now because I do feel it in my heart. And even though, you know, we can, I can be silly and loud and boisterous and all these other things. Ultimately, my desire is one question of God and one question only. And that is how may I serve and how may I serve and how may I serve? And that will be the question I ask for God and of God till the day I die. And that's because I was taught that everything you need to know in life is in those words. How may I serve? And it's, mm-hmm. it's why our dad used to say that he had the prayer of St. Francis um, framed in our hallway outside of our bedroom, me and my sisters when we were little. And he used to say, this is not a prayer, girls. Listen, this is not a prayer. This prayer of St. Francis is a technology. This is the explanation for how to live your life. St. Francis is not saying, dear God, I don't have any peace. My mother-in-law is driving me insane. My husband is an asshole. Give me some peace. He's saying, dear God, let me be an instrument of thy love. And where there is hatred, let me bring love. In other words, how may I serve? And in giving, we receive. We become like what it is we are seeking when we ask, how may I serve? Mm, so beautiful. I'm going to play just a couple of bars of, a, of, of that particular prayer. And then I have a, one final question for you. Let me know if you've heard this one before.
I just had to play it because I was just sent that song a few weeks ago and I listened to it almost every single night. It's it just it captures everything that you just said. So thank you so much for that. And I haven't heard that one before, but I love it. Children singing make me cry almost every time. Me too. Me too. Well, I will be playing actually the um, the more sort of like professional sounding version of that as part of this conversation. And I'll send you the link um, on DM. My goodness, I know that we are just about at time, but I wanted to ask, is there anything additionally that you would like to share that's either coming through right now or uh, that you wish I would have asked um, as we wrap up this conversation? So I will say this, I keep having this feeling that my sister and I are going to start another book, which is a massive undertaking. It took us like five years to write this one. So who knows if we actually are, but I have the line from um, one of my favorite poems that is also a poem that my dad introduced me to. And I've had this going through my head for weeks. And I think it's because this is going to be so nobody can steal this, but if you do, I'll know because I'm saying it first. Nobody, I <laughs> know. Uh, I'm just kidding. You steal it because it's not mine anyway. There's a very famous poem called "Wild Geese" by Mary Oliver, and my dad used to say this poem all the time. And it starts with the line, "You do not have to be good. Mm. You do not have to go on your knees for a thousand miles through the desert repenting." And then it goes on and on. But I keep having this line go through my head that is. You do not have to be good, but the difference between God and good is zero. So you already are. Mm. You already are. So Mm. why not embrace it? Mm. And I just keep having that feeling of you do not have to be good, Mm. but you already are because you already are God and God and good are the same. Just go there, go there and be that and let yourself be good. Let yourself be God and feel good and feel God because it's already there for you. And um, why not? Why not? And I guess I keep having that. And I don't know why, but I keep thinking I'm going to write a book and call it. You don't have to be good, (laughs) but I don't know what I mean, probably we wouldn't call it that, but I just can't stop thinking about that. Well, I know that you'll have a lot of listeners here from this show that want to pick that up and listen. The most fundamental lie that we tell ourselves is that we're not good enough because we somehow think that we are separate from God. And that happens when you're from zero to about five, six years old and we have the soul split. And if you've ever tried ayahuasca, you know about that journey. And so we're always wanting to come back home, which is the beautiful teaching of Ramdas, right? We're all walking each other home. So we really hope that you actually follow that urge um, and that you do something about that and maybe even create a community, right? Like, I mean, I would love to. I mean, let me say my dad loved ayahuasca. He did it like a bunch of times and he loved it. And I keep feeling like he's calling me to do it. My mom does it as well. They love to do it. So um, my sister did it one time and she told me that while she was on this ayahuasca experience, she saw my dad there and he said to her, this is after he passed, he said to her, what are you doing here? And she said, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? And he was like, well, this is where I always am. So anyway, I kept thinking, well, if I do that, maybe I'm going to see him again, uh, you know, in a way that's beyond just like a dream or something. So I actually really want to do that and have that experience. Um, so I, I oh, look forward to that. So I agree cool. with you. 
Yeah. So I think your mom's been to Rhythmia in Costa Rica. That's correct? where she goes. She goes all the time. I know yeah. because I also know she's part of a new pod with Reverend Michael Beckwith and a bunch of other people who bought like the Rhythmia residences because I almost did as well. So that's just a funny thing that I learned in the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go down there soon. I Have you Ooh. been? Oh yeah, I've been there. Um, and I, that was the first place I tried um, plant medicine was at Rhythmia and with Jack Canfield and a bunch of those people from the Transformation Leadership Council. And so, I mean, listen, what they say is that the plant medicine calls you. You can't tell anyone you should go do it. It needs to call you. So it sounds like Mama Aya is already beginning to lure you. And it's because yeah. there's something really powerful there for you. So you'll know about the book the next community, you'll know about where you are supposed to be serving next at your highest. You just will. There's absolute clarity when you go through those experiences. If you ask, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And I I am. And I am. So I feel like I I haven't admitted, actually, I don't think ever publicly that I'm thinking about doing it. So I guess I am being called and I didn't know that it was even called Mama Aya, but I love that. (laughs) I love female energy. So if it's Mama Aya, I'm even more sold. Oh yeah, it's Mother Earth. It's she's 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 embodied by like the snake and um as a as a as a oh know, my god yeah, we really? had a snake in our backyard today for the first time ever. So interesting. So she so and that's she will sometimes show up in the physical form of a snake, or you'll see jewelry or symbols. And but yes, yeah, she she will call you because it's not for everyone when they mm-hmm. think. Like I know for me, I was asked at least half a dozen times before I finally knew, okay, this was for me. And it's because my mom wanted to go do it with me. And we did it. We went to Costa Rica together. So, oh my gosh, when you do go have that experience, I'd love to have you back on the show and chat about, uh, you know, who other realm I could talk to you all day long. And I really wish we could, (laughs) but quite frankly, I've got to go. I've got a whole Meeting that's happening right now um, at 3 p.m. on another Zoom, which I cannot believe I have to say, but it is what it is. Thank you for your time. Well, I'll be, I'll come back once I do Mama Aya. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's definitely continue that conversation. And uh, in the meantime, I want everyone to pick up the knowing 11 lessons to understand the quiet urges of your soul from Sage Dyer and Serena Dyer, Pisoni. Um, And where's the best place for um, us to connect with you? Say Instagram. It's under Serena Dyer, Pisoni or Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always on those too. I'm pretty good about responding, not always, but pretty good. So I'm a Gemini. We're mercurial. You know, we, we don't always respond, <laughs> but Girl, we do. I'm either going to respond right away or it might be two weeks. It's just the right. way that it is. Exactly. That's just our two personalities. I totally get it. Well, I honor that in you and um, thank you for coming on. I'll leave all the links in the, in the resources um, of this podcast and have a beautiful blessed day. And I hope you guys get some light again, although you're going to yes, be just fine you. without it. I'm looking at my dark house in the distance. I'm thinking I'm going to be calling the Florida Power and Light Company when we hang up. So <laughs> thank you. And thank you to your father for uh, giving us his presence in this time. I'm super grateful for that as well. Me too. Thank you. All right. Bye, you're Michelle. Welcome. Thank you for listening to Fire and Soul. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. And if you'd like to connect on social, you can find me anywhere at Michelle Sorrow. Or if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.